Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I, I do commend that uh, peacemaking seminar to you. We uh, uh, feel like it has a lot of practical benefit, as you heard in the video, and so we'd love to have you join us. Uh, we're already encouraged by the response that we've heard, and uh, we'd love to have you consider joining us. Lori Lawless, who's our pastoral care minister, she'll be kind of tag-teaming with me, so um, let us know if you have any questions about that or if you'd like to register. Well, for most of my growing up, and then even into my young adult years, I never really dealt with much relational conflict. I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing person. I'm not easily offended. I can overlook potential offenses. And I've also, you know, for the most part, had a, pr- a pretty kind of small circle of friends who I cultivated. And then on my, on, on my family side, all of my family members... Uh, my immediate family members love God, and so there was never kind of a clash of values there or a clash of, you know, my sense of calling. So there was little things here and there, but nothing significant. And then I got married. <laughs> and my wife, Laura, she gave me permission to say this, by the way. And, and I, you know, I, I will say to you up front that Laura and I have a pretty good marriage. We're, we're a pretty good team. Our, our hearts are for each other. And we're about to celebrate uh, nine years here in a couple weeks. But in those nine years, what I've uh, discovered is that marriage has a way of showing us our selfishness, our priorities, whether they're good or bad, our sinfulness, those things that we inherit from our up our own upbringing, whether those things are healthy or unhealthy. Marriage has a way of teasing these things out, doesn't it? And so for many of us, our, our, you know, on top of that, our spouses are wired very differently than we are. And so we constantly bump into conflict. So conflict is a common challenge of married life, as many of us know. But others in the room are, are single. And that comes with its own challenges. For all of us, married, single, uh, COVID, this last year that we've come through has not made things any easier. For, for, for married couples, particularly if you have kids, you're, you're juggling, you've been juggling that, you know, taking care of them at home, and, and there's been financial losses and job losses, and frankly, just not the same space from each other that maybe you are accustomed to when you are commuting or going to an office. And then for singles, because community, people, relationships, uh, social events, because because these things have been harder to access, many singles that I know have had a particularly difficult time as well. So whether it's the relational conflict within a marriage, whether it's the challenges of being a single person of faith these days, the question ultimately for us is how do we approach these challenges? How do we approach these challenges? As you may know, we've been in this Peacemaker mini-series within our our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we've been exploring these different texts that are packed right into the middle of this Gospel about Jesus. And they're packed right into chapters 18 and 19 especially. And in our text for this morning, as we've heard, the, the focus is divorce. The focus is marriage. 
And divorce is painful. Many of our lives, in one way or another, have been touched by divorce. Some of my family members have gone through divorces. And, and some of them were very painful. Some of them involved kids, you know, dragged through that struggle. Many of us have friends, family. Perhaps you've even been through a divorce yourself. Or you're facing it today. But as we see in the heart of God and as we see in the scriptures and the teaching of Jesus, divorce was never God's ideal. Divorce was never God's ideal. Many people look to this text that we're going to look at this morning in Matthew 19 as, as, as grounds for divorce. And, and there is some merit there. God consistently throughout the Bible takes infidelity very seriously. But I would argue to you that the heart of this text is not grounds for divorce. The heart of this text is the heart. The human heart. And so this morning as we consider marriage, as we consider the dissolution of marriage, and even as we consider this, the single life, the celibate life, I want to focus on the heart with which we approach these challenges in our lives. Before we turn to the word, let us pray. God, we thank you for your invitation to us this morning that we might receive from you. Lord, with this heavy text that we're about to consider, God, would you have your will and your way in us? Show us whatever it is you want to show us. And give us courage to walk in it as we leave this place. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when we approach scripture, we need a little help understanding the world of the Bible. And in many ways, public opinion and, and public conventions around divorce are, are quite different than they were in the ancient world at the time of Jesus, when he's having this conversation with the Pharisees and the disciples. See, because Jesus was in a, a patriarchal society, the Jewish culture, Roman society, patriarchal societies. And so women had very virtually no power when it came to divorcing. And so any disillusion of a marriage was at the initiative of a man. But also, somewhat unlike today, uh, though not entirely unlike today, to, to be divorced left a woman especially in a very vulnerable position, socially, financially. And so there's lots of pragmatic benefit to being married in that society. But what has not changed over time is the heart, the human heart. Because ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since the early pages of the Bible, it's been preferable for us, or at least tempting for us, to do things our own way. To decide for ourselves what is best. To set our own terms. To turn from God. And so in light of that, we look at the heart this morning. And there's two things about the heart that I think we can see. Is that first, the hard heart looks for a way out. The hard heart looks for a way out. Secondly, the soft heart engages the challenges of marriage and singleness for the glory of God. The soft heart engages the challenges of singleness and marriage for the glory of God. So let's look at the text. Verse 3, Jesus has just entered Judea. And as soon as he steps foot on this new turf, what happens? He gets this doozy 
of a question from the, the Pharisees, this, this sect within Judaism who was often fixated on matters of the Jewish law. And so the Pharisees come to him in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Evidently, at the time, there was, there, there was ongoing debate about what legitimate grounds for divorce were. There was different schools of thought. There, there, there was one school of thought that believed the only legitimate grounds was infidelity, was adultery. And then you had, on the other end of the spectrum, you had another school of thought which felt like legitimate grounds for divorce could be as simple as a wife burning her husband's dinner. If you can imagine. Now, I don't know why that would have been legitimate grounds for divorce, but it was at this time, to some. But wherever they were on the spectrum, all of them were trying to make sense of this interesting text out of Deuteronomy 24.1, which describes a husband finding anything indecent with his wife. And so the question was, was anything indecent adultery, or was it just burnt chicken? So how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus knew that the Pharisees really love the Bible. They really like their scriptures. And so he plays on their terms, but he rewinds them a few chapters back to Genesis. Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so right here, taking Genesis, the early pages of Genesis, Jesus paints this beautiful picture of what marriage is. This picture of marriage as, as God intended. This joining of one man and one woman in lifelong, covenantal, one flesh union. Marriage, as we see here, uh, according to Jesus in the early pages of the Bible, marriage was God, is, is God's institution. This is not man-made. This is God's design from the beginning. And it's a permanent union. But these Pharisees, being the Pharisees, they press it a little bit further, and they skip to this law out of Deuteronomy 24 that they were all getting tripped up over. So we pick up in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So these Pharisees, here they are, and so far in this narrative, they have categorically opposed Jesus. They have tested him, they have brought their little theories to him in order to somehow trap him. He always seems to dodge it brilliantly. But the Pharisees are asking about these mechanics of a, of a law, when, when what Jesus is saying is, why is a law there to begin with? He's coming from a completely different angle, isn't he? The Pharisees placed the emphasis in the wrong place on several levels. They, they, again, they, they have in mind here this Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, which I want to read for you. Maybe you can, it's, it's a bit um, circular, but I, I hope you can follow. 
It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, hang in there. Then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. Again, hard to sort of track the logic, but hopefully you see the point. And the point, I believe, is that that law of Moses there, the point is that divorce is a solemn choice. In this culture where marriage was, where had many pragmatic social benefits, financial benefits, social benefits, Moses says divorce is serious business. he's, He's basically saying, listen, you've made your choices. You've sent your wife away. Or wife, you've been sent away. But don't go thinking, he says, that if things don't work out with plan B, that you can just then go shack back up with plan A. It doesn't work that way. You've made your choices. You've broken the covenant. So the Pharisees treat this as a command when really all that's going on in that law is that God is making an accommodation for their sinfulness, an accommodation for broken human choices. So there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. And the disconnect is the hard heart. The disconnect is the hard heart. Some of these Pharisees who come to Jesus, maybe they were looking to justify themselves. Maybe they rather liked the whole kind of burnt chicken approach to divorce. They were looking for an easy way out. Others, maybe they probably just wanted to be legalistically right and, and on point. They, you know, they're saying, Jesus, I want answers. Jesus, what's the black and white? Jesus, what's the rule? But as Jesus said, it was their hard-heartedness that required the rule to begin with. So the hard heart looks for a way out. We now look at the disciples, if you will, with me. Read in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. They're thinking, dang, Jesus, this feels pretty restrictive. If If there's no way to get out, why get in to begin with? They're thinking. Things get tough. Expectations are not met. You're not as happy as you would like to be. If only my spouse was like this person. If only my circumstances were different. We too were tempted to look for the exit sometimes. Now I want to pause here for a moment for for an important pastoral word. And in, in this word is that we fully recognize that unfortunately... Sometimes there's marriages that just cannot be reconciled. Sometimes it's not safe to reconcile in cases of abuse. Sometimes there's not a mutual willingness to reconcile, unfortunately. In some cases, there's just been such a a, a breach of trust and fidelity that the only recourse, it seems, is divorce. And so while all divorce is based on sinful circumstances, not all divorce is sinful. So we are sensitive to that. We are aware of that. And I would say to you, if you find yourself stuck in any of those particular circumstances, any of those struggles, 
Our pastoral staff, our elders are here to walk with you. So let us know. But what we're focusing on this morning is the hard heart that looks for a way out. The hard heart that we see signs of in the Pharisees and in the disciples. The hard heart that seeks divorce on illegitimate grounds. The hard heart that's not willing to do the work. My daughter, Julianne, is five, and she recently acquired a toy pottery wheel. A little plastic box that's battery-powered, and it's got a spinning thing in the, in the middle. And of course, right after she got it, she wanted to play with it right away. And I'm a little bit of a control freak, and so I'm thinking about the mess involved, and I'm thinking that she'll need to be supervised the whole time. And, but I reluctantly set it up for her. We get it fired up, it's, it's spinning, and it, the, the, the kit came with one package of clay in a little plastic pouch. And so I, I open the package, and immediately I'm thinking, man, this is it's pretty dry, this is pretty hard, like, it's like a biscuit. It doesn't seem too promising. But for, for whatever reason, in the heat of the moment, I just, I, I, I just sort of throw it on the wheel and pretend like it'll sort of take shape somehow, you know, magically. But what's quickly apparent is that all that this is is a crumbly, messy disaster. A major failure of dad, daughter, artwork. Sometimes we're like that clay. Sometimes we are crumbly. Sometimes we get jaded, we get disappointed, we get disillusioned. Our expectations are not being met. And for... Sometimes we even say that our lives are before God, that we are following God, that we are trying to obey God. But if we're like that clay, God cannot work with that hard heart, can he? God invites us in to soften us and lead us towards reconciliation, but we are still running for the exit. Like that clay, the hard heart cannot be shaped, cannot be formed. It resists the work of God. But as we consider this hard-heartedness, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? And I believe we begin to see some glimpses of this alternative in this encounter with Jesus. We begin to see the soft heart, and we can infer some things about the soft heart. And the soft heart engages the challenges of life, married, single, for the glory of God. So what does this look like? As we've already seen, Jesus has offered this amazing, beautiful vision of marriage from, from Genesis 1 and 2. And let's read it again. It's that good. He presents it in verses 4 and 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no one separate. First, we see that in the context of marriage, the soft heart resonates with this vision. The soft heart desires this vision. The soft heart takes seriously the vow, till death do us part. The soft heart recognizes that God's purpose in marriage goes way beyond what the world may Think. That marriage has this mystical, spiritual, wonderful meaning and purpose. 
The Apostle Paul, he picks up this same idea in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, quoting the same text, and here's what he does with it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So the, the, the point is that in God's design for marriage, there is this amazing purpose that far exceeds all of the world's expectations, even our own sometimes. That what we have in marriage is a picture of Christ's love and commitment to his church, which is unbreaking, which is unfailing. This purpose goes beyond companionship, beyond sex, beyond your tax filing status, beyond your comfort and security, even beyond childbearing. Marriage is a display of Jesus' love for his church. And so the soft heart desires this, but the soft heart does the work practically of this spiritual meaning. The soft heart listens well, thinks the best of the other. The soft heart dies to itself. The soft heart works on communication. The soft heart invites other people to speak into the marriage and to support the marriage. We return to Jesus' conversation with the disciples. And again, here's the disciples saying, dang, Jesus, this feels pretty restrictive. If there's no ways out of this, why get in? Again, that's their posture, it seems to me. But I think in Jesus' reply to them, he says a couple of things in the same breath. He says that few can or should forego this calling to marriage. But he also says in the same breath that marriage is a high calling requiring doing the work. We pick up in verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So Jesus says that few can live this life of celibacy and singleness. And he describes these three categories. And he uses this unfamiliar word to us, eunuch. Unfamiliar to us kind of in the modern West. But he he speaks of eunuchs. This is a very biological idea. This is a castrated male. And so there are eunuchs who are born that way. And we do have that in rare cases. There are eunuchs who were, who were made that way by others. And in the ancient world, often these were sometimes high-ranking officials. Sometimes they were servants of the king. Sometimes they oversaw a, a harem of the king's wives because it was felt they could be trusted. But then Jesus says that there are those who choose to live like a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But whatever the situation, Jesus says that few can accept this calling. He's essentially saying that that, that many, if not most, will marry. And to his hard-hearted disciples and to the Pharisees, he is functionally saying that they must approach marriage on God's terms. They must do the work and not just run for the exit. This third category of eunuch to pick up on, on, on that is perhaps how you feel, perhaps what your journey has looked like, is 
is embracing singleness, however painful it is at times, whether for a season or for a lifetime, embracing singleness and the opportunities there for the glory of God, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus' words are not to be missed. He says in the Greek, literally, those who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Again, those who embrace their station in life to serve God. Not focusing on the disadvantages, not focusing on what you're missing, but focusing on what God has given you for a season or for a lifetime. Jesus ties it all together with this challenge at the very end. The one who can accept this should accept it. Accept what? Accept either marriage on God's terms, not running for the exit, but committed, costly love, doing the work. Or to accept singleness for the sake of the kingdom, whether it's for a season or for a lifetime. I appreciate Eugene Peterson's translation of this last verse in his message translation. He says, but if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. We have no larger vision of marriage than what we see in the Bible. But to accept it requires a soft heart. And the soft heart engages these challenges, married or single, for the glory of God. Think back to my daughter's pottery wheel there. After the first failed attempt, I decided to pull out the instruction manual. <laughs> I, um, I guess I'm a typical guy in that sense. I just I'd prefer to just tear into the project rather than read the instruction. But I open the instruction manual and I just look for the pictures because that's all I really want to see. I don't want to read the words. But I immediately see a picture of a sprayer bottle. Water. Oh, I get it. You have to spray the clay to soften it up. I'm not an artist, so forgive me. So, so we got out the sprayer bottle and you know, we started spraying the clay and you would spray it a little bit and try to work it, try to shape it, try to bend it and spray a little bit more and repeat. It actually took a lot of water, a lot of work, a lot of spraying. But eventually we were able to get it on the, on the wheel and uh, Julianne worked it and she formed it and eventually she made a little bowl out of it. The point is that initially that clay was hard, it was dry, it was useless. We couldn't do anything with it. So it required softening. It required softening that we make shape something beautiful with it. Today or tonight, God might be offering you a little spritz of his grace, a little spray to soften your heart in whatever your circumstances are. You may be in the throes of marital conflict. You may be only dealing with everyday stuff. You may be dealing with the challenges of your singleness. But all of us, each day of our lives, we're just raw material. We're like the clay. We need a little help. We need a little spray. We need to choose to be softened. After Julie uh, finished working on the bowl, she let it set and then she painted it blue, and 
She ran to me and she said, Daddy, look at my special ball. And I said, I love it. Good work. I said, I love it. As we choose a soft heart, as we, as we choose a willingness to obey God, he's a loving Heavenly Father, and he says, good work. Look what we're doing together. Look what we're creating. And so if you're struggling with challenges of any kind, will you choose a soft heart? Or will you choose a hard heart? God is inviting you to a little spritz this morning. And so I pray that you would have the courage to believe it and to receive it. Let us pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your commitment to us. Lord, we are but raw material before you. If you would desire to give us some of your grace today, if you would desire to soften our hearts, Lord, help us to receive it. It's a walk in obedience to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.